Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to GBC. Uh, thank you guys again for leading us. And um, before we jump into God's Word, and I'm very excited about this passage, by the way, I do want to make uh, one quick announcement. Some of you have probably noticed that we, we have some parking issues at Grace Bible Church, and I just wanted y'all to know, first of all, it, it's a good problem to have. Uh, it's still a problem, and, and we're working on it, okay? So um, a, a couple of things. Um, we are trying to secure some, some additional land to build parking on. And in the meantime, we have rented some land on which we can, we can park, and so that's good news. Um, in the meantime, as, as we still try to work this out and try to catch up a little bit, um, I've got a few things that I would love to suggest to you as, as ways that you can help this overall congregation. Okay, the first thing is attend the 5 p.m. service. Okay, uh, I know that some of you can attend the 5 p.m. service. You've got youth ministry stuff or um, uh, other commitments. Uh, there, there are a number of good reasons that the 5 p.m. service can't work for some of you, but, but some of you it can, and, and we need space in this service, and we have space in that service, so if you can come, try it out. It's, it's actually really great. The second thing, if, if, if you're committed to the 1045 service and you're like, I have to be here or I just don't like West and I don't want to even consider that, ride with somebody, okay? Like with your family, like pretend you love each other, that kind of stuff. And um, come together, you know, if, if you're a single person, figure out some other single people to ride with. It, it's an opportunity for more fellowship. Also arrive early. Like arriving early, you'll, you'll get better parking. You can come in and you can pray for all the people who are coming to Grace Bible Church. You can pray for the worship team and for me. God knows I need it. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to arrive early. So, so try to come early. Also, last thing on this subject at the 1045 or, or the nine o'clock, every once in a while, uh, people come in and, and they're, they're bringing their children mostly in the preschool and there's no room for their kids in the preschool. It, it's generally... Um, it's, it's already filled up by then, and, and I, I want to say a few things. First, we love your kids. We, we really do love your kids, and, and we want to, to like, have ministry for them. Uh, there, there's a number that we get to that it's just not safe, and, and I also know that it's, it's hard, and, and my wife knows that it's hard, to to get kids ready for church and to get them in the car. And I, like, there's a lot that goes with it. And so for us to turn y'all away after you've come, made all that work to be here, it stinks. I get that it stinks. We don't like it either. Um, we don't want to do it. Uh, I hate that we have to do it sometimes. Did I mention that we have a five o'clock service? <laughs> Plenty of room in the children's ministry there. So I, seriously, I, I don't like that we do that. We only do it because we're trying to make kids safe. And so please just know that. Um, let me show you a couple of parking options. In, in the interim, we, we have a few parking options. That's not even funny. <laughs> um, okay, so that's Grace Bible Church. You can see it there. The Curtis Steel Lot number one up to the left. We've had that for a while. That is open every Sunday morning. So if, if you're looking for parking, that has been an option. Curtis Steel number two lot. New stuff as of this weekend. This is, this is big. Like 100 extra parking spots right there in the Curtis Steel lot number two. Curtis Steel, by the way, is an unbelievably good neighbor. They, they have provided us parking basically for free for like years, and, and they without a 
hesitation opened up this second parking lot. If you know anyone at Curtis Steele, thank them. They, they have been nothing but kind to us. I want to celebrate that. Okay, Southwaste. Oft maligned Southwaste, right over here. It can be a little smelly. I get that. <laughs> they have opened up. They've got like 20 spots. It's not available this week. Doesn't matter because you're already in here. But next week, there's going to be parking in that Southwaste lot there, which is really nice. To the west, which is right out here on, on this road that we just put in, well, they just put in about a year or two ago, we'd like you to only park on the west side, which if, if you're directionally challenged, that's the far side of that road. If we park on both sides, it makes it hard for people to get through. So we've got all that new Curtis Steel lot parking over there. Just park on the west side and, and walk over if you're parking on that road. And then the last thing I'll say... I get that a lot of people have been parking over in the neighborhood. We want to be really good neighbors, okay? Um, that's, that's part of our witness to the neighborhood. And so try to park anywhere else you can but in that neighborhood. And then if you do have to park in that neighborhood, don't block people's driveways. Like, I know that you're in a hurry to worship the living God. Don't lose your mind while doing so, okay? <laughs> like, just be cool. Um, and if you park people in, that is the definition of not cool. So I think that's it. Um, if you have any questions afterwards, let's talk. But let's now turn our attention to what is much more exciting than a parking update. Let's turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time to be together and to study your word. God, your word is a gift. And I pray that we would not just be entertained by your word, that we would be transformed by your word, Lord. Help us to be men and women who, who live in congruence with your precepts. And I, I pray that we would delight in the freedom that your precepts afford us. And I pray that you would convict us and you would give me an ability to speak clearly. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a couple of years ago, Kristen Cameron suggested that my wife Mary and I watch this show called Ted Lasso. And, and Ted, she, she was real clear. She was like, look, there's, there's a little cussing, but it's got some really sweet character development. It's got some redemptive themes, and, and you need to watch Ted Lasso. And so Mary and I went, and we were kind of new to the streaming scene at that point. We had Netflix and nothing else. And so we start looking for Ted Lasso on Netflix. It's not there. But we find this show called Lasso. And I'm thinking to myself, and this is like, stunning logic here. I'm thinking, well, maybe she meant Lasso, which is about Ted Lasso. You, know, like, you just didn't put the last name. You know, like, Lots of shows do that. And so we start watching this show Lasso, thinking it's Ted Lasso. Well, it starts with a retirement community being bussed to a rodeo, and, and there's a rodeo clown, but he's not like the rodeo clowns you've seen. This is creepy clown. I mean, like, sinister clown who, who is riding around on a horse that has, and he, he's holding a whip, and the whip has like a cleaver on the end, and he's, he's dismantling it. I mean, like he is hitting people, and there is blood everywhere, and like, I'll never be able to unremember this show. 
And like we watched it for like 15 minutes and you're like, oh, no, no. And we thought maybe it was like a weird dream to like what is otherwise going to be like a comedy. And it wasn't. It was just, it was horrific. I mean, like horrible, horrible stuff. And, And my point in all is that is this. Sometimes something just isn't what you think it is, right? I mean, like I thought this was Ted Lasso and it was Lasso. And the difference between Ted Lasso and Lasso has been the source of nightmares for like the last two years. Okay, so sometimes something just isn't what you think it is. Second Corinthians chapter one, I'd like to read for you verses three through seven. Paul writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comforts too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. If you're reading the Bible and there's an oft-repeated phrase, that's a clue that that oft-repeated phrase is central to the author's intention. The word comfort should have stood out to you. Like, comfort is used everywhere. Comfort figures prominently not only in this paragraph, not only in this chapter, but in this entire book. And here's the deal. It's not what you think it is. It's not at all what you think. The word comfort is parakletus, parakletus. And it means an act of exhortation, encouragement, or comfort, parakletus. And it's used a ton. It appears six times in these five verses. The verbal equivalent of parakletus is parakaleo, which some of you have heard before. It appears four times. And so ten times this word group, the noun and the verb form, ten times in five verses is used right here. In addition to that, 29 of the 59 times that this word is used, it is used in 2 Corinthians in the the New Testament. So I want you to think about that. It's used close to 60 times, close to 30 of those times is just in this book. It's an incredibly central theme to 2 Corinthians, and it isn't what you think it is. It's just not. Like, What do we think of when we think of comfort? Comfort today connotes some sort of relief, right? Some sense of well-being, some, some ease, physical ease, freedom from pain, freedom from anxiety, That's what we think of when we think of comfort. Like, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be in pain. I I want to be tranquilo. That's what we think of when we think of comfort. And and so you look at the end of verse 3, and it says that God is the Father of mercies, and He is the God of all comfort. And you think, wow, that sounds great. You might start to think that God is the spiritual equivalent of a big, soft duvet. You know, some, some, some pillow topper, something like that. You, you might even think, gosh, 
God is kind of like my, my favorite pair of jammies. He's the God of all comfort. And, and, and my pajamas are comfortable. And so you associate God with pajamas here. And I'm not going on a tirade against pajamas. I'm, I'm not even going on a tirade against duvet covers. Like nothing wrong with, with all that stuff. That's not my point. It's just not Paul's point. It's not what you think it is. Biblically, comfort isn't the absence of pain or the presence of ease. It's God's fortification of the heart, mind, or soul so that we might endure whatever circumstances, unpleasant as they might be, that are before us. Let me, let me say that again. It's not the absence of pain. It's the fortification that God gives us of our hearts or souls or minds so that we can endure and live and thrive even in the midst of pain. Do any of you remember the Titans? So it's a movie. It's called Remember the Titans. Like It's right there in the name. And, and if you don't, there, there's this great scene that actually speaks to biblical comfort. It doesn't speak to worldly comfort. We're, we're getting rid of that definition. We're, we're not talking about duvet covers here. We're, we're talking about a fortification of your soul. There's this great scene in Remember the Titans where, where Rev, who is the quarterback, he's a godly guy, they call him Rev, I like that, and he's, he's just had his wrist broken, kind of a cheap shot play. And, and they're about to bring in the second string quarterback who's, who's new to the school, and, and he's from California, he doesn't totally fit in, and, and he's never run the veer offense. It's an offensive se- scheme, and you've you got to make these pitches, and he's not good at pitching the ball. And, and so he He's nervous, and, and Coach Boone, the head coach, he's going to comfort him. But it's not this comfort, it's biblical comfort. And so if you could, run this video clip. Got one minute. Take the other time out, Coach. Ronnie Bad. Coach, you best going back in, man. Not a quarterback. I can make that pitch, Coach. Yes, you can. When I was 15 years old, I lost my mother and my father in the same month, Ronnie, same month. Twelve brothers and sisters, I was the youngest one, but they were all looking up to me. Now, I wasn't ready yet either, but they needed me. Your team needs you tonight. You're the colonel, you're going to command your troops tonight, you understand? Twins right, 48-0 read. Let's go. Let's go. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a football in here before, you wimps? Let's go, show some life in those legs, I got it, it's going to be all right. But you released this time. Louis, let him through, all right? What? Just let him through. Trust me. You had 12 brothers and sisters? Eight. Yeah, 12 sounds bad. Sunshine comes in scared. He, he doesn't think he can make the pitch. Coach Boone fabricates a little bit. And he says, 
you're the colonel. Your team needs you. And he lights them up, and you see what happens. That's what we're talking about. That's what this word paraclesis means. The God of all comfort fortifies us when we are fearful. The God of all comfort emboldens the timid. The God of all comfort helps us persevere through afflictions. Now, the question that you ought to be asking now if you're following Paul is why? Why does God do that? Why why does God strengthen us for the moment? To what end? For, For what purpose? Why does God comfort us in our afflictions? The rest of this passage exists to answer that question. Why does God comfort us and our afflictions. You see it actually right there in verse 4. The God of all comfort, verse 3, who comforts us in our affliction. Here's the reason. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So, so God fortifies us. That's what that word means. It strengthens us for the task at hand. God fortifies us so that we can fortify others. Now, that should make sense to you. If you've been at GBC for a long time, this should make sense because the word paraclesis is related to the word parakaleo. And I hope that you have heard me talk about parakaleo. Parakaleo doesn't look like comfort. Parakaleo, literally para alongside, kaleo to call. Parakaleo is to call from alongside. So as a disciple maker, and this is what this passage is about, a disciple maker comes alongside someone and says, the kingdom is right out there, and we're going to move toward the kingdom together. Parakaleo. It's not about duvet covers. It's not about jammies. It's about being fortified, shorn up, strengthened, for the task at hand. Hilltop Adventures takes these kayak trips and a bunch of other types of trips. And and one of the things that we do on these trips is we do a a life story timeline. And, And what people are asked to do is they write down the 10 things that have most significantly shaped who they are as a person that day. So men and women alike, 10 things on a timeline that have most significantly shaped you. Now, most people think that's just the vehicle by which we give our life stories. And it is, and it enables us to know each other more profoundly if we didn't use that tool. But what people don't know is we're also using that life story timeline and and the grids that are associated with it to help people see that the 10 things on that timeline are actually the 10 things that God has used to prepare them to minister to other people. See, that, that's what you need to understand. The pains that you have experienced in life might be the greatest single things that you will use to invest in other people. God doesn't want your pain to be spent for naught. He, he wants to redeem it. He wants to use it so that you might invest well in other people. I can't tell you how many times since we've started doing these trips seven years ago that, that I've had somebody come into my office and say, gosh, I'm really struggling with, with mourning or, or alcohol or porn or you know, what I should do in this situation at work or whatever it is. And, and they're like, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know somebody who's been through something almost exactly the same. Can I introduce you to him? And I call the guy that I met on the kayak trip, and I say, hey, I've got a guy for you. And you say, well, why me? Because he's been, or he's right in the middle of this, and the guy's like, oh, yeah. 
I'm for that. Girl says, oh yeah, I, I've lived through that. God has delivered me through that. I'm like, would you speak to him? Would you speak to her? Nobody's ever said no. Literally, nobody has ever said no. The hardest things that you've experienced are most often God's greatest ministry opportunities for you. Do you know that? Now, here's the deal. Sometimes the hardest things that you've encountered have been the result of your own sin. That we're sinners. It happens. God wants to use what he taught you through that hardship produced by your sin to minister to other people. But you're not going to be able to do it if you're unwilling to acknowledge that you went through that. Okay, so if you're trying to be Mr. Spiritual or, or Ms. Like Christian and, and like, oh, I'm plastic. No, I've never done anything wrong. God is lucky to have me in his heaven. If, if that's who you are, you're not going to be able to use the things that God has taught you through the dark things of your life in other people. And, and they're going to go through the same stuff. And, and so it requires an element of vulnerability so that you can say, let me show you how God will work in this hard situation. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. Understanding the word comforters is fortifiers. People who are used by God to invest in other people so that they might know that God will meet them in their darkest hour. But you've got to be willing to acknowledge your sin. There's, there's a French philosopher named Simone Weil. And I have to quote a French philosopher now because I did an illustration from Remember the Titans. And so I'm the guy who's the sports illustration guy. Wes is the French philosopher guy. So I'm, I'm trying to balance things a little bit because people notice. Great quote. You ready for it? Simone Weil. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Isn't that good? I generally don't like French people, but, <laughs> but that's pretty good. You know, give it up to Simone Weil. Are you allowing God to use your past afflictions or your past suffering to minister to other people who might be stuck in the same things? That's an important question for you to answer. And if not, is it rooted in pride that you won't? <laughs> well timed. May your tribe increase. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same things, the same sufferings that we suffer. Now, there's a backstory here, and let me kind of break it down for you. Paul's critics, and he has a lot of critics in Corinth, 
are saying, look, if, if Paul is really God's guy, why is he getting pummeled all the time? And that's what they're saying. Like, if, if Paul is really anointed by God, if, if Paul is God's spokesman, why is God allowing him to get beat up all the time, to get stoned all the time, to, to be shipwrecked? I mean, all these things that are happening in Paul's life. And his critics are like, God must hate this guy. He doesn't love him. He hates him. Otherwise, these bad things wouldn't happen. His critics in Corinth think that all the hardship that Paul is enduring are evidence that he isn't God's man. Now, let's just pause here. This is the seedbed of prosperity gospel, isn't it? That's, that's what we're talking about. The prosperity gospel will say, God loves you. He wants the best for you. Therefore, name it and claim it, baby. Like, you want to be rich? God wants you to be rich. You want ease? God wants ease. You, you want your life to look like a soft pair of pajamas? That's what God wants, too. Name it and claim it. Paul's answer to that, verse 5, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to understand something. Our suffering is actually what makes us mature. So if, if you want to be mature in Christ, you've got to at least be available to suffer for his kingdom purposes. That's it. If you are constantly hiding from suffering, if comfort, worldly comfort is your greatest goal, just put maturity aside because you're never going to get there. You'll, you'll stay sweet and low like little sugar packets on a cheap diner's table. That's it. But you will never grow to maturity. That's what verse 5 says. Verse 6 says, good gospel ministry demands sacrifice. At times it demands suffering, y'all. Paul's not pulling any punches here. He's saying to his critics, you don't like this. You can't grow to maturity without this. And by the way, the reason that you know Jesus is because I was willing to suffer. And so I went to the Gentiles and I exposed myself to criticism and persecution, all of these things. Now, the end of verse 6, into verse 7, Paul invites his critics and the rest of the Corinthian church to share in his sufferings. And ultimately he says, I want to invite you to share in sufferings so that you can know God's comfort, his fortification, so that you can see that God is providential, so that you can see that God is powerful, so that you can see that God can deliver us, not from pain, but in the midst of pain. That's exactly what he's saying here. I just want you to know that the, the next paragraph, verses 8 through 11, is Paul's personal experience of the principles that he just proclaimed. And this is the application of what he's been talking about in principle, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Now, what is this about? 
I want you to think carefully about that question. Verses 8 through 11 are not about Paul's sufferings. They're not. In fact, if I asked you the question, what specific sufferings is he talking about? You couldn't answer that. It's not there. He, he certainly says that he's suffering. He says that his sufferings are extreme, but if it was about his sufferings, he would have gone into greater detail. He gives us almost no details whatsoever. This isn't about Paul's sufferings. Paul's main point is found in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Ultimately, this paragraph is about God meeting them when they got to the end of themselves. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you've gotten to the end of yourself? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, there is no answer that I have Only God can meet my need. Have you ever been there? Most Americans haven't. Most Americans have have spent lives cultivated to protect themselves so that they don't have to rely on God. Have you noticed that? Like a bunch of college kids over here. Like the American dream is not to become independent. God's dream for you would be that you would live a life of utter dependence. It's a real challenge. Utter dependence on God in the midst of suffering or otherwise is when we know experientially the God who raises the dead. That's where it happens. The God who delivers us. It's where it happens. And, And are you willing to go there? Are you willing to live a radical life? He invites the Corinthians into what he experienced and ultimately he's saying, so that you can grow to maturity, so that you can have a ministry based in your experience as you invest in other people. That's that's what he's saying. Are you willing to go there? Let's suppose, this is going to be kind of fun, Let's suppose just for a moment, Paul is inviting us into the same experience. It's it's not just an invitation to the church in Corinth, but it's an invitation to us to live in utter dependence, to, to be willing to suffer for the gospel so that we might know the providence of God, so that we might more effectively invest in the people that God has given us to invest in. Let's let's suppose that is for us. How do we get there in 2023? How do we get there as incredibly wealthy Americans? What what do we have to do? I'm not going to give you all the answers. We don't have time. I'll give you at least two important ones. The first thing that we need to do to live in utter dependence on God in 2023 as Americans in Houston, Texas... We need to crucify our addiction to worldly comfort. We need to crucify our addiction to worldly comfort so that we might experience the God of comforts. See what I did there? Like, I worked hard on that. I think it is 100% true. We need to crucify 
our addiction to worldly comfort where we're hoarding and securing and making ourselves safe and then wondering why God seems like an academic pursuit. We need to crucify our addiction to worldly comfort so that we might know the God who fortifies us in all circumstances, not just our ease. That's the first thing that we need to do. The second one, and this isn't totally unrelated. In fact, it's some sort of subset in a Venn diagram, but I'm not going to explain that right now. The second thing, we need to get in the game. You need to get in the game. You need to figure out how to be kingdom participants instead of just being kingdom recipients. We're about to have a mission fair. Right out there, there's 21 partner ministries. They are outstanding ministries. They are here because they need help executing on what God has given them to do that the kingdom of God might be more known in Houston, Texas. Okay? Now, I want to make this nuanced. Some of you should not sign up to do anything with them. Those people are already living kingdom-oriented lives. Those people are already intentionally making disciples. You don't need to add more to your plate like that. Some of you shouldn't do that. You should go and you should, should encourage those people. You should inquire of those people. You should befriend those people. You shouldn't volunteer because some people will run themselves ragged trying to be junior messiahs. I don't want that. There's a lot of people who are not in that category in this room. There are a lot of people who are bottom-sucking fish in the Christian aquarium, okay? You, you are just gleaners. You're, you're constantly consuming. You're, you're just bottom-suckers, okay? You, you're not using your gifts. You, you are just feeding on teaching or curriculum or whatever it is and then doing nothing with it. I love you too much to allow you to stay comfortable in that situation. It is not kind as your pastor to say that is what God wants for you. God wants you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. God wants you to use your spiritual gifts in the service of his kingdom. I get your excuses. I've heard them for 30 years. I just don't know enough about the Bible. Bull. That that's garbage. You, if you've been through growth group, you know enough about the Bible. You know, you know more about the Bible than most people know about the Bible. Get out there. God has given you knowledge based on the experiences he's brought you through. God has given you a church that teaches the Bible. God's given you the internet. You can listen to whomever you want. If I'm deficient, there's plenty of people who aren't. Stop it. You know enough. Stop being lazy. Don't be a bottom-sucking fish. And yes, I repeated that. In the Christian aquarium. (laughs) Go figure out what your gifts are and use them in the service of God's kingdom. And I say that not for Grace Bible Church. I'm asking you to go and volunteer with other organizations. I'm not even saying it for the other organizations. I like them, but that's not the point. I'm saying it for your sake. You will experience God with joy and profundity when you're using your gifts, when you're orienting your life to God's kingdom priorities.
I promise this is in your best interest. I'll close with this. There's a guy named Robert Mansfield who was the headmaster of a private school in South Africa. And he was the headmaster of this school during the days of apartheid. And if you don't know what apartheid is, it was a strict racial segregation that existed for a long time in South Africa. And, and Robert Mansfield's school was barred from competing against a black school. So he was a white school headmaster, and his, his school was barred from competing against a black school. And, and he took a stand. He finally had had enough of apartheid, and he said, look, if you won't let us play this school, I'm resigning my post as headmaster. And a friend came to him and, and was horrified, and he said, Robert, you know you'll be wounded, right? You, you know that that's what's going to happen. You, you do know that, right? That this is going to hurt. It is going to wound you. Mansfield replied to his friend by pointing to heaven, and he said, when I go up there, my judge will say to me, where are your wounds? Where are your wounds? And if I say, I haven't any wounds, he will say to me, was there nothing to fight for? And then he went on to say, I couldn't face that question. I'm telling you that today, 2023, Houston, Texas, there is plenty to fight for. There is plenty to fight for. Go fight. Go fight. Go use what God has given you to fight. Fight for God's glory. Be dogmatic in your love of people, in your disciple-making efforts. Use the suffering that God has brought you through to invest in other people that they might not make the same dumb mistakes you made. Fight. Use what you've learned in your afflictions to make disciples. That's what this text is about. There are some of you in here who you, you haven't been around long, you haven't gotten kind of used to me, and you're going to go get in your car, which is parked in the neighborhood, I'm sure. <laughs> and you're going to be driving home, and, and Satan is going to want to make you indignant, okay? I'm, I'll get out ahead of this for you. Satan's going to make you like, who is that bald guy who's called me a bottom-sucking fish in a Christian? Who, who is that guy? That is me comforting you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would live lives in such commitment to you that we would see affliction or suffering as an opportunity not only to grow in our own lives, but as the vehicle by which you prepare us to minister to other people. I pray that we would learn incredible things about your power and your goodness, not to deliver us from trial, but to deliver us in the midst of our trial. Father, I pray that we would live lives marked by joy, marked by fidelity, 
marked by an allegiance to the king who has saved us out of our depravity, out of our addiction to comforts of this world and unto the priorities of your kingdom, which are the only things that satisfy. God, please help it be true of me and also my friends here. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.